0: Hey guys, I'm Eric Olson and welcome back to the Science Centric Podcast. In this episode, we're delving into the mysterious world of neuroscience, specifically as it relates to the human brain. Composed of over 100 billion neurons by some estimates, our brains may be the most complex object that's ever existed. And that little three-pound lump of gray tissue between our ears has dreamed up some pretty amazing things, from symphonies to skyscrapers to the very technology that is allowing me to communicate with you now, potentially half a world away. But as amazing as our brains can be, they don't always operate the way we'd like. We forget stuff or we remember it incorrectly. We're easily bored or distracted. We're terrible at estimating the time it takes to complete tasks the list goes on and on and on and I'm sure some of us marvel at the precision and efficiency of computers wishing our brains operated in much the same way we remember everything perfectly we'd never feel bored or get distracted we'd have laser-like focus we'd be on all the time but not so fast says our guest neuroscientist Henning Beck Henning is a writer speaker consultant and author of the forthcoming book, Scatterbrain, how the mind's mistakes make humans creative, innovative, and successful. He says, what we perceive as our brains flaws are actually the things that make us uniquely human, and in some ways, more capable than computers. We spoke about how the human brain actually works, how tech companies are using our distractibility against us, and what we can do to use our brains in the most productive way possible. But before we dive in, head over to sciencecentric.com/support to help keep this podcast running. We accept direct donations through Patreon and also get a little kickback on any purchases made through the website at no added cost to you. Other ways you can show your support are sharing with a friend, writing a review on iTunes, or following us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at sciencecentric. All right, enough of that. Let's get on to the good stuff. Henning, welcome to the Science Centric podcast. We're so glad to have you from Frankfurt, Germany. That's awesome.
1: Thanks a lot for having me.
0: Yeah, we're we're uh, well, we're across the Atlantic from each other, at least. But it's it's so cool that we can talk to each other. Um, cool, long Forward. distance. Yeah. Um. So, so your book Scatterbrain: How the Mind's Mistakes uh, Make Humans Creative, Innovative, and Successful. Uh, it's a really interesting book. Uh, I think it's really timely because a lot of people are worried about artificial intelligence and sort of computers taking over and 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 we're just not going to be able to compete with them because they're so good at 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 crunching numbers and and um, and they're getting smarter all the time. Um, but your book is sort of about how the human brain is not a computer. And how we, you know, our, our brains do things better in a lot of cases. Um, and so the, the, the things we think of as flaws, um, you know, that, that computers do better are actually advantages that we have. Um, do you think that that's a good su- kind of summation of your book? And, and, and is that sort of your maybe part of your impetus for writing it?
1: Yeah, uh, totally. I mean, this is, this is the main idea I had um, because everybody's speaking about perfectionism, becoming faster, more efficient, more concentrated. Everybody's trying to do less mistakes, of course, because mistakes and errors are a bad thing, of course. But in fact, the brain is not designed to think perfectly and flawlessly all the time. And I wonder if evolution is so great. Why on earth do we have a brain that is making so many mistakes or is it just the other way around because we do a lot of mistakes or maybe mistakes are just the flip side of what we call um, advantages thinking in terms of creativity, in terms of planning, in terms of behaving adaptively because efficiency and perfectionism if we tr- as we try to seek it in, in artificial intelligence um, I mean, this is good if everything stays the same, if the rules and all the world, the whole world around us is is completely stable, then this is the method of choice. But we are um, human beings. We know that we have to adapt to new environments and the brain, because it does some kind of mistakes or has some kind of mental slips and careless mistakes and such, we have to pay this price in order to be creative and and more adaptive than, than computers and artificial intelligence.
0: So, so you're saying there's, there's a trade-off between how yeah. computers function and how our brain functions. Um, well, I think, so, yeah. I think it's totally different.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, there's no, no such thing like um, a flash drive in our mind or we are running on programs or such. We don't have a difference between hardware and software. Artificial intelligence, um, as far as I, I see it, is, is more or less a way of pattern recognition. And of course, the brain does that all the time. I mean, when we learn language, it's a kind of pattern recognition. But we also change the rules instead of always following them. Um, if I, if I, my, my neighbor, he's like three, three, four years old. If I tell him that there are some rules for a game, he tries to break these rules. When I feed some rules into an artificial intelligence, some kind of super intelligence chess playing engine, it tries to follow the rules, but it will, will never invent a new rule because no machine is trying to do, okay, I don't like this game. I want to do something else, right? <laughs> and to do that, you have to break the, the patterns you recognized before, and you don't know whether this is going to work or not. You don't know whether an idea is going to fly or not. But um, trying it is way more important than um, doing it perfectly, and this is this is our niche. This is our cognitive edge we have in, in comparison to, to machines.
0: Interesting. So um, one thing that I thought was uh, interesting also is thinking about um, how the the brain works, and you you made a. Um, comparison to, you know, how, how a symphony works, where there's a conductor and the conductor is sort of leading the uh, musicians through the song, but the brain doesn't really work that way. There's, there, there, there's no conductor. So how does it even work? Because (laughs) how does it, how does it, how does it organize thoughts and, and ideas and, 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 and function if there's, if like no, no single entity is really in charge? I mean, that sort of blows my mind.
1: Well, this is a very good question. And in fact, it's uh, how much time do I have to answer this? Because <laughs> this, is, this is question. Uh, but interestingly, um, I think the example of an orchestra is pretty nice because what you see um, when you look at an orchestra from outside, you don't know what melodies this system is able to play or has recently played. It's the same with the brain. When you cut the brain, when you open it and you look at the brain from outside, you have no idea what ideas this system is able to think. And just as a melody or the music is not located anywhere in an orchestra, the thought is not located anywhere in a tiny part in the brain. No matter how deeply you look into a brain, you will never find a thought. Because a thought or what we call thinking, um, this is what is happening when these neurons, these nerve cells interact with each other, synchronize themselves, and this behavior, this activity state, this is what we could call a thought. Interestingly, we don't know how th- all this happens. You know, we know we know all these tiny parts in the cellular mach- mach- machinery. We know um, the molecular biology of neurons pretty pretty nicely. We also know how the whole thing is composed in general, but we don't know this in between. How does a thought, how is ju- thought generated um, out of these um, cellular actions? And I think this is some kind of the, the holy grail of neuroscience um, because when you decipher that you will decipher the principle of thinking yeah,
0: yeah and i, I mean uh, you know we have a but you know we have this internal sense though that we have this co- cohesive you know yeah. consciousness and and train yeah. of thought and um you know reading your book i i start i i i started to like Question myself because you know you we oh, we, see, we have just this
1: because <laughs> you're a human being. A computer would never do that. <laughs> looking for collations, everything has to stay. It has to be stable. <laughs> and human beings challenge their beliefs they are sure. challenged their themselves and yes, this is what yeah. we call progress right this is right. what we call yeah. like the sense of life that we that we proceed and do something else and and, and breaking the, ha- the habits breaking the patterns breaking the perspectives you have this is the best thing you can you can do yeah. uh, uh, to use your brain for
0: it. yeah 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 i i think uh though that you know it's um I mean, I think what's interesting about uh, how, you know we have a perception of, of of reality that that feels very cohesive, but then neuroscience is this you know and it's subjective. But then you have neuroscience which says that um, and these experiments which you outline in the book where it shows how flawed that that sort of sense of reality is and, and cohesiveness um, and. Um, one of those uh, areas is uh, talking about memory, and and you know we have we 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 think we remember everything that we experience, but we don't. We filter out a lot. Um, but um, so maybe you could just talk a little bit about that and and you know how our how our um, you know brain uh, deals with memories, um, because I I believe we get something like I read somewhere that we get eleven trillion bits of information or something in any one second uh, of sensory information. And then, you know, what, what happens to, to all of that?
1: Well, um, first, um, the, 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 the purpose of our memory is not that we remember the past as precise and accurately as possible because the past is gone, right? We cannot chase the past. The purpose of our memory is that we can act in the here and now and plan the future. So this is the reason why we are we don't have perfect memory because consider we had a perfect memory, um, we remem- we would remember everything, but then you have a problem. You you would um, have to manage to um, prioritize to say what is important, what is not important, and the more you remember, the harder it is to find the information for your planning in the in the present. So um, this is one reason why we forget stuff. It is not a um 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 like like something that, um, that is um, t- t- telling us that our brain is bad, but on the other hand, the brain is using active forgetting in order to make the most important information um, and more precise and more pronounced. Um, on the other hand, memory is not stored anywhere in your brain, um, we, we, t- we call that all the time. We, even when we use language, we say that, we, we save something, we store something in order to recall it later, right. as if memory is located anywhere. But if I tell you, think of your grandma right now, then it is not that you have a specific part, grandma part in your brain where your granny is stored, but it's more like your brains get a certain kind of activity pattern. And this pattern, this dynamics is what we call um, the memory of your grandma. Just like an orchestra can uh, creates a song a melody every time um, in the present, it is not retrieving an, uh, um, um, like, um, or recalling a, th- um, uh, a song from from some kind of um, device, but it's more like that you create the, in the song in here and now. And this is, this is how we create memory because we have to make decisions um, in the present. And on the other hand, our, our memory is never, we forget stuff, yeah? And it is even more, it is not precise and accurate. We invent stuff retrospectively. Um, we, it is easy to fool people to believe stuff that never happened. Um, because the, the, the memory is memories always constantly updated whenever mm-hmm. you recall a memory or whenever you recreate a memory on your, on your mind, it is in a, in a state of, um, yeah, that, that you can update it with new information. And this, by doing this, you are very adaptively, you are very flexible in your thinking, you are good at planning, you are good at, at asking what if questions, but on the other hand, the same regions that um, make you asking these hypo- hypotheses and what if questions are the same regions that um, um, falsify your, your memories or that, that, that um, distort your memories. So it's hard for you to verify or to falsify what happened
0: so it's it's almost like if you were pulling up a computer file uh, say a photo of something and like every time you pull it up it's a little bit it looks a little bit different yeah
1: <laughs> of course of course and, and, and this is a bad thing uh, at first sight because you you, <laughs> you cannot ever 100 percent rely on on your memories never um but on the other hand um the memories are very flexible they are like the material you need in order to make good decisions in the here and now, mm-hmm. and it is way more important to have um, to have good plans about the future than a good memory about the past. Yeah. And um, this is this is why our memory is not like like that we store our um, our past in a specific place in our brain, but it's way more dynamic and way more um, flexible.
0: But I mean that also says that we shouldn't trust our memories, right? I mean that no, that, yeah, yeah.
1: I mean, if, I mean, this is, this is an issue when you go to court, yeah.
0: um,
1: when you ask eyewitnesses or if you ask, uh, um, people that study history and asking people what happened during the war, what happened 50 years ago, it is never, um, 100% correct. Yeah. Um, so this is, this is an issue and we should keep this in mind when we rely on, on, um, what people say.
0: Yeah. And is there anything that we can do to improve our memory?
1: <laughs> well, the bad thing is. Or, not or really.
0: sorry, make our, make it not, you know, make our, our, what I mean is make our, our memories more accurate, I guess would be another way to say that.
1: Um, well, first, um, I very often I hear people asking, how do I make myself forgetting less uh, stuff? How do I get a better memory? Yeah. Um, and, uh, I think it is not important um, saving information. Like if you, if you read a newspaper article, and it is not important that you remember all the words, all the words and all the sentences. It no. is that you remember the main message, and it is that you understand what was written there. And to do this, uh, to do this, you should um, you should detach from the idea that a perfect memory is is the ultimate goal. Right. Um, you should sometimes you should forget. Sometimes you should have um, um, phases during the day where you're not concentrating on what happened or what is happening, but just. Drifting away on your mind in order to digest the information you have and
0: make knowledge out of this information. Yeah. So understanding is more important than than memorizing.
1: Understanding is more important than, than everything else, yeah. more important than learning, more important than memorizing, just recalling because understanding is something truly human. Right. I, I doubt that there is another animal or another system, including artificial intelligence, that really understands what is happening. That is understanding causation and on um, correlation. That is making plans actively. And this is our unique human power.
0: Yeah. yeah. Okay, Great. Um, so forgetting, forgetting things is not necessarily a bad thing. It's, 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 it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a feature, not a bug, as they say.
1: (laughs) Well, it depends when you forget that
0: you forgot something,
1: then it's a bad thing. As long as you remember that you're forgetting stuff, then, then you're on
0: the good side. All right. Um, So another really fascinating thing uh, or another really fascinating uh, chapter in your book is about time. Um, A lot of people have challenges with with estimating how long things are going to take. Um, I've Mm -hmm. noticed as I've gotten older that that time time seems to go faster. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we all remember summertime as kids and and summer seemed to last three years not three months and 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 so what's going on there and um you know uh, why 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 are we so bad at at judging time and how long things are going to take or how how you know how much time we have
1: yeah this is an interesting question and um the thing is that we don't perceive time like other sensory input we don't feel what an hour is like we feel the sun on our skin or we don't feel a second, something like that. We, because we create the, um, the time always retrospectively. And because the brain is not counting seconds and hours, because seconds and hours, they, they don't exist in nature. I mean, hours don't grow in trees, right? Hours yeah. are a human invention. Right. And so um, the brain does something different. It just takes um, um, experiences and events from our past, and it has some kind of internal um, um, timeline and organizes all of the past events and, and, and uh, what happened and on this timeline. And the, the more stuff happened, um, you think retrospectively, oh, this was a very long time because there were so, so many new things and so much I experienced. And retrospectively, it seems like forever. This is the reason why um, um, young human beings, boys and girls, think that the summer lasts forever because a lot of new stuff is happening. You get older. You you have seen more stuff. There there's something that happens every year, so it's not new anymore. And the brain says, "Oh, nothing new, so I can not forget it. What, right. Why should I remember it?" And there are less um, there are less events on this uh, internal timeline. So retrospectively, it, it seems like the time is flying or or going faster. But it's more like that you don't have new events on the same time scale in your in your in your brain and thereby it speeds up over time. So the best way to have a very long life is that you have um, a lot of new stuff around you, that you travel a lot meeting new people because retrospectively, you can dupe yourself, right? Retrospectively, it looks like a lot of stuff happened. And um, yeah, it seems like you had a very long life.
0: And you you say in the book that, um, you know, things that we're doing that are very routine, that we're doing again and again, sort of get compressed into one event. Yeah. So doing those new things kind of like fills out that timeline with with stuff. Whereas if 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 you're doing things that are routine, it's they all just kind of get lumped into one activity. Um, exactly. Yeah, exactly.
1: And the other way around, um, if you, a lot of big projects fail in, in budget and time. And the reason for this is that you ask a lot of experts. But when you're an expert in your field, you had a lot of projects of building like train stations or whatever. And uh, retrospectively, um, the the, the brain shortens all these past projects and you're um, versed at estimating uh, the duration of a future project. So a very good advice in order to calculate or estimate um, the duration of a project is that you ask non-experts, because usually non-experts are way more precise at um, estimating the the correct
0: duration. That that's yeah. fascinating. I mean, <laughs> I don't know how that's possible. Just to you, all a, the consultants in the world. <laughs> so just ask ask a family member who doesn't know what you you know doesn't know your field, and, and maybe they'll oh yeah, I do that
1: all the time. This is yeah. by the way, this is a very good advice in general. That you ask people who are not an expert in the field because they are asking naive questions, questions that you're not asking anymore because you're process blinded and so so focused in, in the zone. And usually you're not looking outside the box anymore because you're not forced to do that. And it is way more important that you ask a lot of naive questions because I think this is part of science, right? Science is not only about giving good answers, but about giving, but about asking good questions because questions um, push us forward and questions give us uh, new perspectives. Um, Just as Abraham Lincoln said, uh, I don't like this man. I have to get to know him better because, um, getting other people into your perspective really spices up your way of thinking.
0: Right. And, and I guess it's, um, you know, that, that to, to bring it back to the idea of a timeline, it's sort of forcing you to unpack that, that, that timeline. And, and, and because you, you, you've done this thing so many times that yeah. you just sort of skip over, Oh yeah, we did this before we did this task before, that didn't take that long, but you don't really remember how hard it exactly. was and like, exactly. you know, all all the struggles and um and this
1: is why you're always late at buying Christmas presents, right? Because you, you think you have done that so many times, you think, oh it's gonna happen and <laughs> suddenly time's running out. Um, and so the best way to, to do that is uh really um I, I mean if you have projects that are constantly running out of time, like um buying Christmas presents, um you you can write it down how long it takes because retro, as I said, retrospectively people. Yeah systematically underestimate the duration of, um, routine projects. And on the other hand, really, um, try to, um, try to break the routines. Um, because first, um, you're way better at estimating future durations of projects. If you, if you add some, some new kind of like a new twist in your project or a new, new way to do that, it is not very efficient, you know, because it's speaking, uh, it is, is a speaking um, not in favor of doing everything in a compressed and efficient way, but usually you're, you're, you're um, really um, improving your, your, your way of thinking. You're, proving, you're improving your, your estimation of duration and you're proving, improving your perspectives uh, in terms of doing something in a new way and also um, solving problems in a new
0: way. Mm-hmm. So maybe maybe you need to slow down a little bit and ask more questions and
1: um ask other people And
0: ask other people to bring them in. Great. Um I have a I have a lot of trouble with this one so I I um, Me too. yeah um You <laughs>
1: human being. Yes.
0: <laughs> well, and and also I do a lot of video production work and 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 there's a lot of steps in there and I think what happens is that I just tend to gloss over oh I you know I don't I don't sort of uh, write down all the steps involved, because if I did, I'd just, that would be overwhelming. So I I just sort of compress it. And then I'm like, oh, well that actually does take a lot of time. So,
1: um,
0: okay. So, um, so let's, let's, uh, talk a little bit about another chapter in the book, which is distraction. I think that's a very timely, uh, another timely topic, so people are so distracted now with their smartphones and everything, um, and we're, we're inundated with so much media and so many different kinds of media, and it's all on demand. Um, you know what, what's happening there. I mean, why is it, why is it so hard to focus? And 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 and, and what can we do to uh, become less distractible?
1: <laughs> well, the um, first, um, distraction is the result that our strongest drive we had is curiosity. I mean, everything else, you can slow it down, tear it down completely or ignore it for a time, but not, um, that we are constantly seeking new information Mm -hmm. and technical, technical devices like, like smartphones or, 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 or stuff was designed in order to, um, um, to capture people's attention because we are falling into that curiosity trap that we are trying to seek for something new. And as soon as it like vibrates or rings, we are are reaching out for it. And um, well, um, this is just the result that we are always trying to think outside the box. Consider the alternative. If human beings would always be focused, always in the zone, it would be good. As I said, if everything stays the same and you have a task that you have to complete as fast and efficient as possible. But usually, human brains are looking around. as and what 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 can I do else? And what 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 do I have? Uh, what other possibilities do I have? And this distraction mode that is sometimes important to get to a new perspective, it's just backfiring um, when we are trying to concentrate and stay in the zone. Yeah. And as you said, nowadays it is so easy to be distracted because all this media, all these devices, phones, and and push up uh, um um um. Um, push notifications um, and calls and messages and all that. This is constantly hijacking our our way of positive distraction and basically turning it into a, into a bad thing because then you're not getting uh, things done because you're not, you're not able to focus
0: anymore. Is there a part of the brain that actually causes us or, or is behind this like seeking uh, novelty or seeking new information?
1: (sighs) Well, it's more like, um, usually we have, we have some filters in our brain, the the thalamus, for instance, that is filtering out most of the sensory input. Um, but, um, the brain top down can control the, um, the leakiness of this kind of filter. So when you say, "Okay, I want to focus on my shoes or the, the, the glasses I'm wearing or the ring on my finger," you, it is easy that you can let through, that you can let all these uh, uh, sensory information pass the, the this thalamus. Uh-huh. And interestingly, um, whether we are distracted or not, is, does not depend on the distractor, because um, right now I have some some roadwork right around the corner here. But if I'm const- really focused and on a thing that is really I'm getting my attention, and I'm, I'm really typing something or really like watching a video or else I'm not recognizing that there is a lot of road work outside because the filter mechanisms are so sharp and so active that the distractor doesn't have a chance. Uh-huh. So um, the thing is, if the environment changes, that is the trigger for our cognitive system to shift attention to this change. So we are not interested in the the information itself, but in the change of information. Uh And this is basically the reason why we are so curious uh, about new stuff
0: So, So if I'm uh, working in like an open office environment, which I have in the past and I hate it, um, the the best thing I could do is sort of focus in on, on a really high uh you know mental challenging task and, <laughs> and that will that will make everything go away around me right is that is that kind of the idea here <laughs>
1: <laughs> well one one thing is that the job or the project is too easy because then you're easily distracted yeah uh, but on the other hand uh, i mean the, just have an open office this is not a good office or not a good workspace design yeah. because we know that you have like in my like in my apartment here I have, I have a bathroom, I have a sleeping room, I have a kitchen. For everything I want to do, I have a different room. Same with the brain. No brain is able to work in, a, in an open office environment all the time. Sometimes it's good that you can chat with your colleagues or um, have a project um, like team members gathering, gathering um, very fast. But, you know, when you're concentrating on focusing on stuff, it is also important that you can basically um, that you are in an environment that is not distractive, That that, yeah. that that you are in a quiet place, less of um, noise around you. Um, that you are able to focus on the on the on the stuff more more precisely. Because if the things are too easy, you're distracted. Yeah. Um, because you're not in need of focusing. And if it's too complicated, you're also distracted because you're you're saying, okay, why shall I pay attention? It's too complicated. But if you're in the mid range, you're not getting out of the zone
0: interesting okay
1: this is the reason why people bump against traffic signs watching on their smartphones right they are watching a youtube video on their phone they are not recognizing what is going on around them because they are, they are so caught in this moment that they cannot be distracted and so here another example of that it's not the distractor itself but our mental mode it is that we can top down control what is distracting us or not
0: right um How about doing things like switching between tasks? So say you're doing like you are doing tasks that are rather monotonous. Could you switch between tasks to kind of get away from that distraction as well?
1: Well, it depends. I mean, every time you switch, um, you have to pay a price because you're not in this in this um, tension mode when you when you switch from one task to the next one, so you're making more mistakes, and it takes a short time that you um, it, um, that you adjust yourself to the new task. Yeah, um, this is the reason why multitasking isn't right. Good. Just the same reason why you cannot watch uh, two programs on on YouTube or, or Netflix series or on TV because you can watch one um, one TV show, and when you um, when you uh, flip to the another one, um, you're not watching the first one. Um, the, the screen is blank for, for a short period of time. And when you're watching the new show, you don't know what happened in the new show, the last five minutes. So you have to watch it for a couple of minutes to understand um, what is going on there. Same is happening when you're switching between tasks. There's a short period that your mind is some kind of blank that you have to adjust to the new, to the new task. And you're making more mistakes because, um, this is not what we are good at. Switching, switching is not an
0: option. Yeah. And I think you mentioned in the book also that, um, you know, w- maintaining your attention for, for a long period of time is really hard because your your short-term memory sort of fills up. Is that, am I yeah. thinking of that the right way? And then it's like, there's really not room for more information. So your brain just kind of drifts off yeah. into thinking about something else or yeah. is that? This is,
1: an, this is another possibility why we are um, drifting away that we are like um, cognitively overloaded. Mm -hmm. And um, we are not able to um, to digest a a super lot of information because there is a limit um, of what we can focus at. And if this limit is reached, um, it's like it's like an overflow. It's like you're um, um, you're you're getting so many emails and you're not able to to answer them all the time. And there's just an overflow, so you just send them to the trash can right away because you're not able to 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 sort. Um, and to organize all that stuff. and this right. is another reason that your working memory, um, that part of your um, of your cognition that is um, when you' when you're awake, concentrating and, and paying attention to the stuff around you, this has and this is, has a limit. And if this limit is reached you have to you have to do a break because otherwise all the new information coming in will be um, will be uh, filtered out or will be um, deleted. Or uh, won't be incorporated into into the into the thoughts you had before, and this this is a bad
0: thing actually. Yeah. So so it sounds like if you if you want to you know be as productive as you can, um, you need to be in a quiet place. You need to have a, a task that is uh, that is you know sort of the right level of engagement, and then also like taking breaks every now and again just to.
1: Mm, yeah, yeah I, I, I call for this
0: balance between focus between
1: focusing um, on stuff and, and um, loading information if you want into, into your mind and then that you have breaks in order to digest this. Because if you don't have these breaks, you won't turn information into knowledge. Right. Same with a normal digestion. When I eat my muesli every morning, I hope that a lot of these muesli molecules will turn into muscle molecules. But I have to wait for this. I have to digest when I eat muesli all the time, I'm exploding. Same with information. When I consume information all the time, I'm going to explode mentally, which we call what we call um, um, that um, that we forget stuff, that we feel distracted, that we are not focusing any, anymore, that we feel that time is flying, that we are not capable of uh, keeping up with stuff. So I take breaks and I take some time that to rest. So when I sit at um, – a train, for instance, I'm not um, watching or not watching anything on my phone. No. I'm not using my phone because I, I feel like a, like, 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 like a fossil from the nineties. <laughs> I'm not having my smartphone. Everybody is saying, oh, poor guy. But I know <laughs> that I digest the information I just read on a paper or just watched on a, on a video that I digest this information. And uh, my brain is able to create something new out of that. But only if you do breaks. If you watch, or if you look at the biographies of all the creative geniuses in the world, and they always have this balance between mm. focusing, action working hard, and then mental breaks in order to um, to digest what they do. Computers don't do that. Right. No wonder that they are not creative. They are working all the time. If you're not taking any breaks, hard to um, to reflect your thoughts.
0: Right, right, that makes sense. Um, And, you know, I I guess in in this day and age with so much media, it's like, you know, we're just I mean, people are just consuming all the time and they're not they're not ever taking those breaks to, to digest. But that's what the tech companies want. So <laughs> they want you consuming you know, all I the know time. A lot of
1: guys working in the tech company um, <laughs> that are really not falling into that trap that say, uh, right, oh, I don't right. use a smartphone at all. Not for my kids. I don't use it because they know um, the danger of these of these devices. I yeah. don't say that new media is bad in general. Right. But I, I, I think that um, we have um, to to understand how to use it. I mean, smartphones 15 years ago, um, we didn't have smartphones right okay. and so we have so it's a very new invention and people have to to adapt to this and i have to learn how to to use this kind of media and i'm pretty sure in 20 years um people will have found out that constant or this that being constantly available and constantly consuming stuff is not the best way to to use your brain
0: yeah no. yeah um great um well, I mean at least, you know, if you want to be creative and, and understand things and and sort of not be a yeah. um automaton, you know. <laughs> sure. <laughs> um I think this is another uh subject that's relevant to the workplace, which is boredom. Um, yeah. you know, doing uh, you know, monotonous tasks, doing things that you've done a million times before. Um how do we combat that? How do we, how do we make our lives more interesting? Our workplace is more interesting. Um, <laughs> and, and, and why is boor, Why is it not bad to be bored? I mean, we just talked about how you d- you need time to sort of digest things, but, um, you know, what, what's well, going on when we're bored? Has
1: a very bad image, right? I have never seen a talk or a book entitled by how to become um, super boring or 10 (laughs) steps to be bored. Nobody does that. Right. Um, but in fact, I, I mean, boredom for a reason has a very bad image because boredom means that you're sitting there forced to do nothing and you're not able to, to express yourself, not able to do something actively, but just sitting there passively waiting, um, for no obvious reason. And this is really contradicting um, um, our mental like, configuration that we are always seeking for something new, that we are always curious. So this is why it hurts so much. Nobody is sitting at a, at a bus station doing nothing. We are always doing something. We are reading something, we are watching something, we are talking to people, um, because just sitting there really annoys, really annoys us. Yeah.
2: Um,
1: on the other hand, um, what is interesting when you ask people where do you get good ideas? Um, what is wh- what are you doing when you're when you are in a creative mode? When you when you solve problems, a lot of people um, recall events when they were on their own and not really working hard on a problem, but being some kind of bored or in a lazy mode. And this is like um, like the flip side of this boredom is that we are like daydreaming that we're just sitting there not passively being bored but letting our mind go and it's just rethinking stuff we had before and um, this is from, from outside this can be very boring people yeah. sitting there and, and painting stuff can be very boring right? But if, you're, but if you decide to do this on your own in order to step back from the usual work stuff you have to do, this mental power comes into action and it's not about being bored but it's like we call that being uh, imaginative uh, and this is this is a very similar mode in the brain. Very similar brain areas active at this very moment, on the one hand, can be very boring, but on the other hand, when you decide um, to do nothing, um, like work-related, um, uh, the real creative power um, um, comes out of this.
0: Yeah, I, I think also that people tend to, when you're not doing anything, and you're just sort of, or doing something that's repetitive, your mm-hmm. brain tends to go to, to your problems and the things that you, yeah. you you would maybe rather not think about. So, yes. um, you know, I think that maybe is part of the pain of boredom. Um, it would be great if we could just go like, I'm just going to let myself go and, and sort of work on, you know, come up with a, write a song in my head or I'm going to, but it seems like a lot of times people just kind of fall into um, to a mental rut of thinking about those things that, and ruminating on the things that, yes. that, that are not good in their lives. So, is there a way exactly. to? Is there a way to sort of get out of that mode and, and get into something that's that's perhaps more creative?
1: Well, um, I think rumination is also uh, the flip side of thinking creatively, mm-hmm. because when you have a problem, like a problem with your private life or at work. And then um, I go, I myself, I'm going on my bike. I do road biking all the time. And if I have a problem and go on my bike and do this routine, aut- automated, monotonous stuff, riding my bike for three hours here, here around Frankfurt, it is really annoying because my thoughts are always going around this problem I had, always ruminating what happened, what happened over and over and over again. Yeah. And this is not, this is not productive. Um, so if I have a problem that is really annoying me, I try to, um, to do something that is really getting out of my comfort zone. I, t- I try to talk to people. I try to do stuff I have never done before in, just in order to, to spice it up, to really um, to do really something, something very provocative. Um, on the other hand, I know if I have a problem and I don't know the solution, so I try to write something about an article or whatever, I, and I don't know how to get to the point. I jump on my bike and I know the same brain areas that are also responsible for rumination. I know are responsible for um, finding, a, finding a solution for this problem. Mm. And there are very similar cognitive techniques or tactics um, mm. that are um, applied by the brain. And in this case, it turns out that I find good solutions and good thoughts when I return from my bike ride and I, I get to the, to my desktop and I write it down. And it's the same principle in the brain but the the only difference is um, um, the the basis. On the one hand, it is what was a bad basis that you basically had a problem that was annoying you. On the other hand, you had a problem that you had that you could solve and could do something productive out of that. And um, but the
0: basic principle in the brain is the same. So so it sounds like you you kind of want to selectively use that based on on yes on on if like the thing you're ruminating about is productive or not. So if if you're thinking about some work situation that you can't change, maybe try to distract yourself and, 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 and not do something monotonous where you're going to be thinking about things you can't control or take action on. Yeah. Yeah. Of course it depends on the task and the, and the
1: project you are in. Um, But usually I call for um, that you, or basically that you that you change or mix up um, the way of working you do. I yeah. mean, talking to others, having phases where you're constant or where you are concentrated, and then having phases working together with others and mixing it up. This is usually the best way because you know the uh, the more monotony you have in your in your in your work life or in your business life, um, the less creative you will come, and um, the the more monotonous the idea will be at the end.
0: Right. Right. So, yeah, it sounds like we're we're just creatures that are designed for some sort of novelty in our lives. Um, Yeah. And and that's, you know, and then shaking things up and not being in routines like, you know, robots, basically. I mean, we're not we need Mm. we need that. Well, (laughs) uh,
1: well, if you look at people and this is the reason why the business models of the most valuable companies in our world are working, I mean, uh, Google, Amazon, um, Facebook. And um, all these companies are doing a whole lot of money because we are thinking in patterns and routines. If we would always seek for novelty and always try to do something else, they would not do any money because um, then you cannot do any correlation. You cannot use all these algorithms and find similarities and stuff uh, and such. Um, so I think a lot of our lives are dedicated to finding patterns, routines, and like automate. Uh, automated way ways of thinking. Mm-hmm. Because I'm not thinking how to ride a bike. This is automized. This is my cerebellum working and all these um, all these processes are on autopilot. And a lot of things we do when you brush your teeth for instance, you, you can the next time you brush your teeth, try to watch yourself. It is every day it's the same. I bet you, you brush <laughs> your teeth always the same. Um, you you use the same ways to get it work. And this is how we how human beings also work because we try to find routines and maybe 98% of our lives are, um, are correlated. And a lot of companies do money with this, but the residual 2% change everything because this is, this is the area where good ideas come from, where we change the rules and instead of following them. And so we have to seek for novelty, but most of our times we are just in an in a, in a correlation mode because this is what the brain does. I mean, this is learning. Learning means finding correlations, finding patterns in the sensory input. Um, so you can work with these sensory inputs um, better the next time. This is learning. But yeah. we are also uh, able to, to do something more.
0: Right, right. Great. Great. Well, that's probably a good uh, place to stop. Um, it's it's been a fascinating conversation. Um, a lot. I think we could I think we could talk for for another couple of hours. Um, we only covered maybe like four chapters. Talked about uh, four chapters in the book. Um, there's a lot more in there. Uh, the book is called Scatterbrain: How the Mind's Mistakes Make Humans Creative, Innovative, and Successful. Um, really interesting. I mean, I just I. I uh, um, it's just fascinating to find out how our brains work um, and um, thanks a lot. great tips on on how to um, how to how to be more productive and, and work with our work with our brains instead of against them um, yeah. so thanks so much uh, for coming on Henning, and it's it's been a great conversation likewise well that's it for this show we'd love to hear your thoughts or questions about this episode email us at feedback at sciencecentric.com. Also, don't forget you can support future episodes of this podcast by heading over to sciencecentric.com slash support and making a donation or buying something. The Science Centric podcast is a FlowSpark Media production. Our audio engineer for this episode was Alexander James. Guest booking was handled by Melissa David. Our intro outro music comes courtesy of BitBasic. Thanks for listening, and until next time, I'm Eric Olson.